Hey guys, my name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Church, and I want to welcome you to our online teachings. One of our core convictions as a church is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. Now, I know that for some of us, coming into a church building might be intimidating, it might be scary, and I get that. But I want you to know that there is always a place for you here at New Life and that you were made for real in-person community. We meet on Sundays in downtown Wayland. You can check out our website for more information on service times. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through his word. Love you guys. Well, I'll take my glasses off, get a little choked up. Um, that is literally the nicest thing Brad has ever said about me. I mean, literally. I, like, I saw that in the preview, and I, I, I took a video of it and sent it to my wife going, can you believe Brad said that about me? It's like, wow. So now I love your pastor. You guys need to know that. Um, you, got, you guys are blessed. You guys are really blessed. I mean, I have the privilege of being at a different church every week uh, within the Zero Collective. Um, I'm here every once in a while. You see me here at, at New Life. Uh, but um, yeah, and, and we are just blessed with so many great pastors. But as I think about New Life and I think about the community here, um, it is just so evident, God's movement in Brad's life to bring him here and the changes that were taking place within our church uh, to send him here. So I uh, just know that he is loved by a whole other group of people that you probably have no eye context of over at Frontline Church where he was sent out from. But uh, yeah, he just loves it here and he speaks so highly of you guys all the time. So um, anyway, that being said, we are in the middle of a series called Summer in the Psalms. As uh, you saw that video play a little bit earlier, and so we're taking a look at different psalms and just kind of running through them and saying, hey, how do they impact our lives? What, were, uh, what does the Lord have to say through the psalms? Uh, they aren't just a bunch of uh, chapters written years ago. They have actual impact for us today. And so we're going to be looking at Psalm 32. So if you have your Bibles, your iPhone, your iPad, whatever, if you want to start making your way to that, that would be awesome. But um, before I start, um, jumping into the text there, I hate it when there's no context uh, for a text. Like, you just jump right into it. It's kind of like coming into the middle of a movie, right? If you ever come into the middle of a movie and you just have no idea what the plot is, and aside from every Hallmark movie where the plot is exactly the same, can I get an amen from every guy that has to sit through those? <laughs> amen, right? So <laughs> most movies have a different plot. And so let me give you the plot of what's happening uh, in Psalm 32. Psalm 32 was written by David. Uh, it was King David, uh, David and Goliath David, if you remember that. So David wrote Psalm 32, and uh, he wrote it after his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. So uh, if you don't know that story, well, let me give you the Cliff Notes version for you younger people. For you older people like me, let's the Reader's Digest version, okay? So let me give you that version real quick. So... Uh, David had everything going his way. I mean, like, the world was his oyster. He, his path was straight. God had given him everything that he could imagine and anointed him king of Israel. In fact, Nathan the prophet came to him and said, David, your kingdom will last forever. Uh, can you imagine that? Your kingdom's going to last forever. So David, it's springtime, and David should be at work, but he's at home. Now, work for David was war, so he should be at war, but he's home. And it's an evening hour. He's having some marital issues, and so he's lonely. He's feeling sorry for himself. He doesn't have a lot to do. It's dark. It's at night. And he does what other guys will typically do at night and in the dark and alone who want to have some needs met. And he goes and watches some porn. Now, 
Pornography looked a little bit different in those days than it does now, but this is what he did. He wandered to the top of his roof there. He's lived in the palace, and the palace looked over everything else. And so he over there, and he's looking down, and he spies a woman taking a bath. Now, the gentlemanly thing would be to turn around or to go back in, but he watches, and he watches, and he watches. And then he realizes, you know what? I don't just have to watch that. I can have that. And so he sends one of his servants over, brings Bathsheba back. Her name is Bathsheba. Brings her back to the palace. And then over the course of the evening, he molests her, and then he rapes her. And after his needs are met, he sends her back home. And he thinks it's a one-night stand. It's all good. You know, I'll be all set. But a month or so later comes, and a note comes and says, Hey, I'm pregnant. And now that she's pregnant, you're the father. And so now David has a problem. David says, i got to figure this out. So, hey, i got an idea. i got a plan. So he calls uh, uh, Bathsheba's husband back from work. He worked for David. He was at war. Calls him back and says, you know what? You've been doing great. You've been awesome. Why don't you go home, enjoy your wife a little bit, and then yeah, she'll think that, you know, you, you got her pregnant. But Uriah is an outstanding man. He's an upstanding man. And instead of going home, he sleeps on the mat outside the palace. David says, well, that didn't work. Plan A didn't work. So he says, hey, I'll go to plan B. Plan B is, you know what, I'll bring him back in. I'm going to get him drunk. Because, you know, he's going to get drunk. He'll go home and have a little fun with his wife. Everything will be great. Well, same thing happens. Uriah sleeps back on the mat because he's an upstanding man. Well, David says, plan B didn't work. I have to go to plan C. Well, I have to eliminate the problem. So that means eliminating Uriah. And so what he does is he sends Uriah back to the front lines. He has him basically killed there, and then now his problem is solved. A few months go by, because now Bathsheba can mourn. David, now I'm the upstanding man. I'm going to take her as my wife, because she's a lonely widow, and I'll, I'll make it all right, and now everything will be cool. It's all great for David, until the prophet Nathan comes back again and says, David, what have you done? What have you done? And as I think about that story, it kind of reminded me of one of my favorite commercials. See if you see the parallels here. Say you. Carl, what have you done? Think anyone will notice? Yes. Yeah. If you ride, you get it. Yeah, they will. Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. My favorite line is there. Do you think anybody will notice? You think anybody will notice? David, do you, do you think anybody will notice? You, you slept with another man's wife. Do you think anybody will notice? Uh, she's pregnant. Do, do you think anybody will notice? You, you killed her husband. Do you think anybody's going to notice? Yeah. Yeah, I think they'll notice. Now, my friends, that would be a terrible story if it ended right there. That would be an absolute terrible story. But that story coincides with the entire story of Scripture, if you think about it. In that story, there was sin, and then there was forgiveness, and then there was redemption. And that, my friends, is where Psalm 32 comes in. That, my friends, is how this story begins with that. But as we start jumping into Psalm 32, I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you this question. Would you rather, if you had to choose, 
would you rather be forgiven or would you rather be found innocent? As we jump into Psalm 32, I want that to hang, hang in your head here. Would you rather be found innocent or would you rather be forgiven? Let's jump into Psalm 32. Psalm 32 starts this way. It starts in, it says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. Nope, you say that in the first one there, blessed. So back in seminary, back when I was in seminary, uh, one of my professors said to me, say, hey, Blake, when something is repeated, that's when it's important. So highlight that or underline that. So that's why I highlighted blessed right there. Blessed is he, blessed is there. If after I just told you everything about David, I, I told you the sin that he just committed with Bathsheba, I told you, you know, the murder that he committed of Uriah, can you think of a different word that you might use instead of blessed? I mean, he literally starts this psalm out and says, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. But yet, everything that just happened, how does he say blessed? Now, if, if Blake was writing this, if Blake was writing this psalm, if this was Psalm 32 by Blake, this is what I would say. This is it. Cursed. Cursed is the man whose transgressions are found out. Cursed is the man whose sin the Lord counts against him and whose spirit there is deceit. Because that's what David was. He should be cursed rather than blessed. But David says, I'm blessed. Not only is that, let's take a look at the next part of the psalm. Next part of that. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. Again, I highlighted the part there because it was repeated. God is, it, David is talking to God here and he's saying, I am blessed and I am forgiven because God does something different than the rest of us can do. God not only can forgive our sins, but God forgets our sins. God not only forgives our sins, but he forgets our sins. Uh, I think, personally, I'm, I'm pretty good. If somebody does something against me, somebody has a transgression against me, somebody has a sin against me, whatever it be, I think I'm pretty good at forgiving. If they come to me, I'm pretty good at forgiving. But maybe uh, you're a little bit like me if something happens like that to you, but there's still something in the back of my mind where I'll, I'll remember. Yeah. I, will, I, I can't forget. And, and it's not that I'm going to hold it against them. It's just that it comes back in, my, in the back of my head. I would love to be able to forget, but I can't. As I told that story a little bit earlier about David and Bathsheba, and uh, it brought up some memories maybe for you. Maybe there's something in your life that you can't forget. Maybe as I told that story, you identify with Bathsheba in that story. Maybe sometime in your life, somebody took advantage of you. Somebody violated you. Somebody made you do something that you didn't want to do. And as I tell that story, it brings up a lot of emotions. And you're here this morning and you're saying, boy, if they knew that, if people knew that about me, man, they wouldn't love me. You need to know something. New Life Church is for you. New Life Church loves you. New Life Church exists for you. This is your church. Maybe as I told that story a little bit earlier, maybe some of you identify with David in that story. And there's something in the back of your life and you said, like, if everybody knew what happened to me, know what I did in my past, there's no way anybody would love me at this church. 
If they knew, just knew, if they just knew the sins that I've had in my life, they, they would know. If we put your sins up on this screen, you'd be running back to that tech booth right now, just pulling wire, saying, like, I'm getting it out of here. That's what you'd be doing. You need to know something also. New Life Church exists for you as well. Amen. New Life Church loves you. New Life Church is your church. Hallelujah. Maybe you identify with somebody in the story who's not even listed in the story, but oh, they're there. Oh, they're there. And that is David's wife, Michael. Maybe your spouse left you. Maybe your spouse took advantage of you. Maybe your spouse left you at home and went out for somebody else. Maybe you're trying to pick up the pieces right now. You need to know something as well. New Life Church exists for you. New Life Church loves you. New Life Church is your church. Or maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like me, and you're, you're looking from the outside in on this story, and you're like, man, I, I, I don't identify with any one of those people right there, but I see what has happened, and I want to help. New Life Church is your church. New Life Church exists for you. New Life Church wants to be your church. This is a good place for you, wherever you find yourself within that story. Now, moving on here, moving on. There's, there's two tendencies that we are all born with. There's two tendencies we're all born with. We're born with a tendency to sin, and we're born with a tendency to hide. We're born with a tendency to sin, and we're born with a tendency to hide whatever sin. Uh, think about, it starts from the beginning of creation. Think about it. You've got Adam and Eve in the garden. What did they do? They sinned, right? And then what did they do? They hid. They hid from God. And, and God is walking through the garden. One of the greatest sentences in the whole Bible is like, Adam, where are you? I mean, as if God didn't know where Adam is, right? So they sin and they hide. They're next generation, next generation, you've got their kids, right? You've got their kids. And one brother kills the other brother, and then he hides him, right? Skip a few, skip a few generations. You go to Moses, Moses, uh, before he became Moses, Moses, Moses was there and he was, uh, there was an Egyptian slave trader and he was beating a slave and Moses rose up in indignation and actually killed him. And then what did he do? He hit him. He buried him and hit him. So all throughout creation, all throughout scripture, David and Bathsheba, he has the sin and then he tries to hide it. Uh, if you don't believe me, uh, I want to introduce you to somebody. I want to introduce you this. This is my grandson, Hudson. So... Uh, isn't he cute? So Hudson is free, or he's three, whichever, if you ask him, he's free, but otherwise he's three. And uh, I have four grandkids, uh, and then every Friday, uh, I have the, the privilege of watching my grandkids. So my wife uh, works on Fridays, so I'm free on that day. We don't uh, work at the church on Fridays. My daughter uh, and my son-in-law both work. So I've been B-Paw Fridays for, for, four year, or for six years now. My other grandson is six. So I get the privilege of watching them uh, every Friday. So I had them over at my house just a few weeks ago. And uh, I was upstairs taking care of my granddaughter. I was changing a diaper. Yes, I changed diapers. And so I was changing a diaper. And uh, my grandson uh, Hudson there was downstairs. And as I walked downstairs, I looked. And on the wall, there were some scratches on the wall. And there was some little plastic dinosaurs there. And so it, it looked like, you know, the T-Rex and the brontosaurus were having some sort of epic battle on my wall. And there were some little scratches on the wall. And so there's only one person that could cause those scratches on the wall. So I call Hudson over and I say, hey, 
Hudson, uh, what happened here? And uh, classic kid response, you know, classic kid response, like, you know, just the shrug of the shoulder, just the, I don't know, you know? So I look at it, it's not that big a deal, okay? It's funny, by the way, as how your perspective changes when, as you get to be a little bit older and you have grandkids. Like, when, when I was a parent and my kids did that, it'd be like, oh, my wall, you know? It's like, that's why we can't have nice things, right? What other parents say, right? That's why we can't have nice things. But when you're a grandparent and your little grandkid makes that, you're kind of step back and going, you know, that's a little artistic right there. That, that might be art prize material right there. We could pray, frame that, cut that out or something. But that's how, you're, that's how it is. So anyway, he has those scratches on there. No big deal. I go back upstairs. We're doing something else. And then I come back downstairs, and now the scratches are blue. And so I'm thinking, what happened here? I look, and over there is a blue washcloth that's in the, in the sink over there. And it still had, like, maybe it wasn't washed yet, the dye there. And he was trying to wipe them away. <laughs> we all sin, and we all hide. What sin in your life are you trying to hide? What sin in your life, if we put it up on the screen right now, again, you'd be running back there and going, like, man, don't show that. Don't show that. Don't show that. We all have stuff in our life that we want to hide. We sin and we hide. But David, uh, David doesn't do that. David doesn't do that. In the church, we're really good um, at hiding our sins. We're really great at hiding our, church, our, our sins in the church. This, this is what we do in the church when we, when we, when we sin. We relabel it, okay? <laughs> We relay it. We don't call it a sin. Hey, I had this little shortcoming. I had this little indiscretion. Hey, I had this no big deal. I had this, like, I strayed from the path a little bit. That's what we do. That's what we call it in the church. We don't call it sin in the church, do we? But David, David, David does something a little bit different. David, David actually calls it a sin. Pull up that next text right there. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit. Next slide. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So see what David does? He doesn't sugarcoat it. He calls them what they are. He doesn't say, you know, they were a shortcoming. He calls a sin a sin. That is so rare today. That is so rare today. Now, this is probably old man Blake. This is like stay off my lawn Blake. This is like cranky old Blake. But I want to get on my soapbox here just a little bit. And maybe some of you agree with me. Are you just so sick of people in this world not acknowledging their sins? Are you sick of like on social media, everybody pointing a finger at somebody else instead of looking at themselves? I mean, it just drives me nuts that um, somebody wants to take the little speck out of somebody else's eye and they don't see the big plank in their own eye. That's the world we live in. But David, David calls a sin a sin. That's what he does. He calls a sin a sin. And not only does he call a sin a sin, it, 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 it's more to him. So jump to the next part of the text. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped in the heat of summer. My friends, that's, that's more than lip service. That's his bones hurt. That's, he was groaning. I, 
I don't know about you, when, when I sin, I, it doesn't make me groan. <laughs> I have a hard time sometimes even acknowledging the fact that I sin. But here David says, you know what? When I sin, it weighs on me. It's heavy on me. It's like summer. It's the sap of summer. I know summer's been up. Summer's been down here in Michigan. I mean, we get three good months maybe, right? You know, so we don't really have, actually know what summer is like. I mean, but when it does get hot, you know when it feels like you're just zapped and you're just like, man, the whole day is? That's what David's talking about here. He's talking, you know what? I am sapped. God does not want us to live that way. God does not want us to live that way. This is how I think most of us live. I think this is, this is how most of us live. We think up in the stars, up in heaven, there's this cosmic ledger. I've, I live this way for years. There's this cosmic ledger. And on the left, you're going to see all the sins that you do. And then on the right is a box. And it's, is it forgiven? Is it not? It's checked. Anybody else live this way? I, I, I've lived this way for years where you think like, man, if I could just have all of my sins checked, uh, I would be great if I could just have them all checked. And, and happy be the person who dies and then all of their boxes are checked so then they can go on to heaven, right? That's, that's what I'm thinking. But that's not how God wants us to live. He wants us to go one step further. My friends, and this is, this is the whole gist of this message. It's not just forgiveness we ultimately want. It's innocence. It's not just forgiveness. It's innocence. Forgiveness, my friends, is just a step on the path towards innocence. Forgiveness is just a step in the path. God wants to restore you. He wants to wipe the slate clean. He does the one thing that we can't do, and that is, I was talking about earlier, we can't forget. But God, God can forget. If we have a sin before God, it's just a sin that day. You ask for forgiveness, it's not a sin tomorrow because he doesn't remember it. And our ultimate goal is to stand holy and blameless and innocent before God on that final day. So as much as we want to be forgiven, it's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is innocence. So here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a person who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve it. But this is what innocence is. Innocence is wiping the slate entirely clean and restoring a relationship to its fullness before the harmful actions actually took place. This, this is the garden. This is where we're going back to. This is the place of innocence that God calls us to. Forgiveness is just a step on the path towards innocence. So how do we live this out? How do we live this out? How do we move from forgiveness to innocence? Here, you see this, see this cosmic ledger? When, when God forgives it, this is what happens to it. It just disappears. It disappears. You don't have it anymore. You don't have it anymore. So how do we live this out? How do, we, how do we move from forgiveness to innocence? I've just got four thoughts. I've got four ideas that just kind of came that I said, hey, this, this will move us past where, where we are. So first thought here, it's not what you did, it's what you do next. It's not what you did, it's what you, did ne- what you do next. So many of us live right here, and we live in this condemnation, we live in our sin, we live in the feelings of resentment or frustration of what happened in our lives, and we never move past it. We never move past that to what's, what we do next. We sit with this guilt, we try to hide it, and yet God wants to forgive us and call, move us to innocence beyond that. So it's not what you did, it's what you do next. 
the first step, the first step towards any type of healing, a counselor will tell you this, a therapist will tell you, is identifying the problem and then moving past it. So it's not what you did, it's what you do next. Next thought. It's not just a judge we are dealing with, it's a loving father. So it's not just a judge we are dealing with, it's a loving father. Um, I think many of us, me included, have this distorted view of God. We, we look at him in different ways. And so when things are going well, when we're doing ex- everything that we should be doing, he's our loving father. He's our loving father. He's, he's good. He's loving. He wants us to come to him. We're in this great relationship with him. But the minute we do something wrong, all of a sudden the gown comes on, the gavel comes out, and he's pointing his finger at you, and he's saying, you, you, you're the one that did wrong. You're the one who did wrong. Our God is a God of justice. Don't, don't get me wrong. He is a God of justice. If, if you don't believe me, you can look at 2 Samuel and find the rest of that story of David and Bathsheba. You'll see the God of justice there. But first and foremost, he's a loving father. Amen. He's a loving father. And what loving father doesn't want to get down on his knees and when his child messes up and put his arms open wide and call him back and say, this is the path. This is where you should be going. So it's not just a judge we're dealing. It's a loving father. Third thought here. It's not the act or the consequences. Uh, it's our predisposition that we should worry about. It's not just the act or the consequence. It's our predisposition. What is our disposition towards that stuff? What is our thoughts towards it? Um, I'm, I'm a huge sports guy. Any, any other huge sports guys in the, in, the, in the crowd here? Where's Josh? Josh is over here somewhere. Yeah, so love sports. Uh, football. I love football. Football is one of my favorite sports. Uh, obviously, this body was not made for football. This body is made to watch football but, or coach football. When you can't play, you coach, right? So anyway, uh, one of my favorite coaches is Coach Tony Dungy. And Coach Tony Dungy uh, is an excellent uh, football coach, but more than that, he's just an excellent Christian man. And uh, one of the great characteristics about Coach Tony Dungy is the fact that he just doesn't get riled up. I mean, he's got this such calm demeanor all the time. Nothing gets to him. And so I remember one time a reporter asked him, he said, hey, uh, Coach, when a player screws up and costs you either like a touchdown or a game or even something even more important like that, how do you just not get so fired up? And he says, you know what? Here's what I do. I talk to that player, and I ask them three questions. And the first question I ask them is, is, hey, what went wrong out there? What went wrong out there? And then, depending upon the the player's response to that question, I ask them the second question. Well, what should have you done out there? And then, depending again on the the player's uh, response to that, I ask them the third question. The third question is, what are you going to do next time? As I think about that, and I think about our sin, I think about where we're trying to move from forgiveness to innocence, I wonder if we should ask the same three questions. Say, hey, what went wrong out there? Acknowledge your sin. What should have you done? Oh, acknowledging there's a different path. What am I going to do in the future? Acknowledging the fact that God is a God who restores. And not only that, he brings us back to innocence. Fourth thought, fourth thought. It's not just what we confess, it's when we confess it. Uh, we, are a God, uh, we serve a God who's in relationship with us. We love our God. God wants to be in relationship with you. When you're in a relationship, you talk in a relationship. So it's not just what, what we confess, it's when we confess it. It's not letting things linger. It's having that short list and being one with God. So um, 
over 20 years ago, uh, my wife and I were at a different church, and we were in a small group, and we had, uh, we had a group of uh, couples that we just really connected with. And so there's about six couples in this group, and we had just one couple that just, it seemed like we were just made for, like, you know, life together. Our kids were exact same ages. They actually attended the same school uh, as our kids did. Uh, the gentleman and I had just a ton of things in common. Uh, we loved to golf. Uh, we loved to uh, ski. Um, just, we did just a lot of things together as a family. They were the first family we'd call, like, you know, like, hey, we want to go out for something. We'd call them, or we went on vacations together. And so they were really, really close. So imagine my surprise when, um, not only my surprise, but his family's surprise, is when my friend did what David did. And uh, it was a shock. It was a shock. I didn't see it coming. I thought we were a lot closer than apparently we were. And uh, not only did he blow up his uh, marriage and blow up his family, he actually blew up his career with that decision. And so... uh, a few weeks after that, you know, the dust settled a little bit. Um, I gathered some of the guys together from our small group, and we went over to talk to him. And so we, we, we came to his apartment that he was at, and I'm sure it looked more like a mob than it did a bunch of guys coming over to talk. And we knocked on the door, and he didn't want to let us in. Uh, but he finally did let us in. And uh, we, we went in there, and let me tell you, the conversation was awkward. It was hard, and it didn't go well. Didn't go, whoops, didn't go well at all. He um, couldn't deny everything that happened, but in the same respect, he couldn't take responsibility for it either. And so I left that meeting with him, and I haven't talked to him in 20 years until last week, Thursday. Um, it's funny when you put a message together about forgiveness. And you ask God, who in your life do you need to forgive? And who in your life do you need to seek forgiveness from or ask forgiveness to? Um, God will show you. And so um, as I was putting this message together, I just felt really convicted that I needed to call him. So I called him up, and I asked him to go to lunch. So we met uh, last week Thursday for lunch, and, uh, and it was awkward. Uh, we sat down, but it's been 20 years, and we had so much in common back in the day. We started reliving. You know, I'm a pastor now. I wasn't a pastor back then. Uh, he's got a whole different career. He's got a whole different family now. Um, we both have grandkids. It's just, it's, it's crazy. So we talked for, for quite a while, about an hour, and then I finally got up the courage to talk to him about why I asked him to lunch. And I said to him, I'll call him Carl, because that's the name of the day, okay? So I'll call him Carl. I said, Carl, you're probably wondering why I, why I called you. And he said, yeah, it just kind of seemed out of the blue. And I said to him, I says, I need to ask for your forgiveness. And he kind of got that look, you know, like, I, I could tell he was processing that, like, I'm the one who really messed up. Why are you asking for, for my forgiveness? And I said, here's, here's why I want to ask your forgiveness. I says, you needed a friend, and I wasn't a friend to you. You needed a... Um, somebody to listen to you, and all you got was silence from me. You needed a shoulder, and you got one, but it was cold. You needed to be heard, and instead you got silence and just left. And I said to him, I says, you know, 
I just need to ask for your forgiveness. I'm not condoning what you did, but I just need to ask for your forgiveness. And he says, no, no, you don't, you don't have to. I go, no, I do need to ask for you. He goes, no, no, no. Like, I says, I do. And he says, Blake, it's okay. And I'll never forget what he said after that. He says, you're here now. You're here now. I tell you that story for two reasons. First, I don't know who in your life. I'm guessing as I told that, Maybe somebody came to mind for you that you need to either ask forgiveness from or give forgiveness to. So I'm just going to challenge you somewhere along the line to to seek out that person in the next week. Second reason I, I tell you that story is before I went and saw my friend, I wanted to get right with my Heavenly Father. So the horizontal relationship is important, but the vertical relationship, that's what's going to last. And so I talked to my God and I talked to my Lord and I asked for forgiveness and not only did he forgive me but he held me innocent for it we're gonna do something that probably doesn't get done a lot in church anymore I'm older I grew up in the church Um, when I was a kid, uh, we used to get like a bulletin and an order of service. Anybody else remember that? You walk in and you got that and it told you exactly what was going to happen the whole day. And then I always looked for that one thing and it said time of confession on there because I knew I could close my eyes and fall asleep and nobody would pay attention because everybody had their eyes closed and they had this time of confession. So, uh, so we're going to relive that a little bit, but we're not falling asleep this time, okay? We're going to have just a time of confession where we can come to before the Lord. So... I want you to get, get right with God right now. The altar is open. If you want to come up here, you can do it in your seat if you'd like. But Trent's going to play some, and the band's going to play some music behind. I'm going to pray, but I'm not going to say amen because the prayer's continuing to go on. So I want to ask you, who do you need to talk to? Maybe the Lord will bring that uh, person to mind right now. But more importantly, what do you need to confess before the Lord so you can get right with that horizontal relationship with him and not just be forgiven, but be innocent. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, today. We thank you for summertime and the ability to come and worship you. Thank you for this wonderful group of people here at New Life and their pastor, um, yeah, for Brad. Just ask for a great time for him right now, just on break for a couple weeks. Right now, Lord, we want to come before you. And we just want to lay down the things in our life that are that are a blockage between us and you. Things that we need to lay down before you that we need to confess right now. Lord, it says in your word, um, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we want to claim that right now, Lord. We want to claim that purity that you offer. We ask this in your name.